Welcome to the Situation Report for February 10th, 2023. This is Lieutenant Colonel Murray. The situation is more and more chaotic by the day as all the narratives that have been pushed out over the last several weeks are starting to fall apart. The interesting aspect of just the last couple of days has been the the disclosure of the Nord Stream 2 destruction. Now, we we knew that Nord Stream was destroyed by the U.S., right? Everybody knew that. And, and it was called out literally the day of. But we, we telegraphed it to the Russians, so we were going to blow it up. And then we did. And we, supposedly it was with the help of the Norwegian government. None of this is new information for anyone. Everybody knew we blew it up. But the interesting part of it is that it was it was leaked to a specific individual and that individual published the article and then it went viral. So managed disclosure like this is something that you see on a regular basis when they want the story out. They want Russia to know we blew up the, the pipeline. Why? Because they want to provoke Russia to do something and escalate the war. They haven't been able to escalate the, the conflict as of yet, even though they're sending weapons, they're sending material, they're, they're soldiers on the ground there. Most people don't even realize we have almost three divisions worth of troops on the ground there. And we've shipped over a lot of equipment uh, from the operational surplus or operational inventory. Now, what does that mean for most of you non-military folks? Well, it means a couple of things. So the way the military structure, especially the army, the way the army structure is you have combat forces, sustainment forces, as well as uh, information, et cetera, logistics, medical, all those are on active duty. But then the Guard and Reserve are different. So all the sustainment and all the support services and forces are in the reserves, and then all of the, the supplemental combat forces are in the Guard. And the reason why it's set up that the National Guard has the maneuver forces is so the states have uh, inventory for quote-unquote well-regulated militias. That's that's part of the, the impetus for it. And this goes way back. This is not something new. The Most of the combat equipment that's been transferred to Ukraine has come out of the Guard inventory, right? And we were already, go back to 2000, 2001, after 9-11, once we invaded Iraq, we moved a lot of combat forces to Iraq, we moved tanks, we moved uh, Bradleys, we moved we moved strikers, we moved a lot of equipment over there. When you when you move equipment in theater, you, you rarely, if ever, bring it back because it's too expensive to bring it back. And there's no reason because it's usually worn out, especially from sustained combat uh, operations. And what we were doing during the Gulf War and in Afghanistan is rotating troops through on the same equipment. We would replenish equipment that was destroyed but we would drop new units on that equipment, especially striker units, right? We drop them in on the, the strikers that were already in country because it's easier than moving complete units with all their equipment in. So at the end of the at, at the end of the conflict, when we moved out of Iraq, we just handed all that equipment over to the Iraqis, Humvees, MRABs, you name it. We handed it all over to the Iraqis and the tanks. But we took all of the sensitive equipment off of all those vehicles before we handed it over to the Iraqis. It's called demilitarizing in some cases. In other cases, it's called export ready. Now, we did that for a, a number of reasons. The first one was we didn't want any of those 
you know, classified targeting systems or classified armor to fall into enemy hands. Plus, we knew that the, the tanks were going to get destroyed anyway, or at least they were going to be abandoned when they broke down. So we didn't want to leave sensitive equipment in them. Now, Afghanistan's a little bit different story, right? We left we left combat equipment on the ground that we probably should have brought either brought back or destroyed. We didn't destroy it either. So th there's a host of classified systems that are sitting in, in Chinese hands and in, in Taliban hands and now Iranian hands. So typically that's what happens when you move equipment. So we've moved a lot of operational inventory from the guard and what's called, they used to be called E-brigades, enhanced brigades. They were just, they were your standard combat brigade that was that was enhanced with extra armor, extra Bradley fighting vehicles, and extra artillery. And most of the modern stuff, the M1A2s, the MLRS, and some of the M198s, those are all on active duty. Some of the other equipment, um, some M1HAs, M1A2s, there was some of that on on uh, in the guard, but not nearly as much because they have been transitioning the guard to cavalry units uh, from these E brigades for years. This is not a new phenomenon. So they had a lot of surplus equipment that was sitting in depot that they could move over fairly quickly, and that's what you're seeing being moved over there. So it's not equipment that uh, we were going to use on the front line anyway. It would have been reserve or. Uh, combat uh, resupply or stock, right? But anytime you change weapon systems, right, there's a whole host of training that you have to do for all those units to be able to use that equipment. So it's not like that, that equipment goes into storage and you just bring out M1s and the striker didn't start using tanks again. It's There's a whole set of training that goes along with that weapon system. So there's, um, there's training that has to go along with that when we ship it over there. And there's got to be handover, and that's what's going on right now. That's what the that's what the Ukrainians have been doing for the last six months is training all this equipment with our quote unquote advisors there, and we've been doing providing them with intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance um, information so they could target Russians with MLRS and with HIMARS and some of the other advanced systems we've given them. Right. So once all this equipment's over there, it's going to stay there. It's not coming back. And everything we take out of our our you know strategic reserve is equipment we can't use if there's some kind of contingency back here. So you can start to see how this this narrative about moving equipment over is is bogus anyway, right? Fourteen tanks isn't going to do anything in a landmass the size of Ukraine. It's just not. You're talking about you know basically one plus up company that's going to be moving and probably spread those tanks around across you know, dozens of forces. So it's not like they're going to be able to be effective with all those um, high-tech weapons anyway. And most of them have been set up for export, which means most of the critical systems are going to be off of them anyway. And where I'm going with this whole line of, of conversation is that we're doing more damage to ourselves by moving this equipment over than we are helping the Ukrainians. Or, or Ukrainians. And that is literally... That's literally the crux of the entire narrative that people aren't even paying attention to. Not to mention the Russians have started their their um, their spring advance, and we'll see over the next few weeks. I, I anticipate Ukraine will collapse within a couple of weeks, which it, it stands to reason why Zelensky left Ukraine and went to get more marching orders from the city of London 
because the city of London, the bankers in London control pretty much all of Europe. So it'll be interesting to see how that narrative develops now and what his new marching orders are. All along those same lines, we're seeing other narratives crumble as well. And the, the narrative that's crumbling in Ukraine is that Ukraine can win. They cannot win. There's just no way. Even, And it sounds to me like, uh, and Colonel McGregor was right. He was on Judge Napolitano's show, and you can see it on YouTube. He talks about how the regime is over, right? I thought this fight was over last year. I thought that the Russians were going to sweep through Ukraine and they were going to take the ethnic Russian areas and then essentially destroy all the rest of the infrastructure to support the the military there. And it's, you know, there's been a lot of series of blunders by the Russians as well as some some wins by the Ukrainians. But none of those wins came without our help. So when you take our help out of the equation, when you take our ability to influence the battle off the table, it's a whole different ballgame for the Ukrainians. They don't have the ability to move. They don't have the logistics, et cetera. So you're going to see that Ukraine winning narrative fall apart, and it's already starting to do that. Along that same route, the question becomes, what is that going to do to the economies of Europe and the economy of the U.S.? Back to Nord Stream 2, when we when we started back to, to Nord Stream, when we blew up Nord Stream 1, we effectively cut the Germans off from natural gas from Russia, which was their primary source of natural gas. And we knew that it was going to be a strategic blunder for them to make that commitment in the first place, but it is what it is. And we know that at some point, there's going to be the blowback not just from the German people, but for the Europeans, for the high energy costs are going to come back here. So we'll see the narrative develop around, you know, the U.S. blowing that up. And I'm kind of surprised it hasn't generated as much outrage as it should. But, you know, with the, the current set of craziness and, you know, wild narratives that are going around right now, I'm not surprised that Europe hasn't hasn't blown up. But it still may. It just depends. There's still a lot of people that buy into the whole climate change thing over there. It's amazing how many people are still bought into it there and here. So, all of those pieces will come together at some point, and the cow and the you know the um, chickens will come home to roost. And when they do, you're going to see probably some regime changes in in Europe. At least that's the way it looks right now. And if not, we'll see the economies collapse there because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, assets tied to Ukraine and as those are taken over and destroyed by the Russians, I don't know how they're going to be able to obfuscate it and keep the currency alive. There's a lot of downstream effects that are going to come out of this that I think they're, they're trying to stave off if they can, uh, especially the Europeans, but we'll see. And I think the Europeans will, that we'll see them and their, their, Economies collapse before long before ours, but we'll have a, maybe a week or two after they collapse, and then you'll see the dollar take a nose down. At least that's how it looks right now. If you if you follow Tom Luongo, um, he talks about this pretty extensively, and uh, his you know his um, his weekly podcast is pretty informative if you haven't listened to him. And, I, and I'm on the same same sheet of music as him. I, I think he's got a, a very unique view of the world and uh his podcast is called um, gold goats and guns and he he does a very good job um 
walking through all the different pieces of this this World Economic Forum New World Order. And his view of the world is he's a finance guy, right? So he's he's looking at the world from the finance finance perspective. I'm an information warfare guy. I'm looking at the world from the information perspective, the amount of narratives and the amount of, of changes to the narratives that are being pushed out every single day. And you know, if you if you're if you're new to this this podcast, then I would say some things to pay attention to. So you're going to hear me say things like signal versus noise. And you're going to hear me say, this is signal, this is noise. Like this whole balloon affair was noise. I can tell you, we launched that thing from Alaska, boosted it up into the jet stream. So it would float down over, over Montana, down into the central U.S. And then we used a bunch of theater to destroy it. It's, it's all nonsense. And even if it is a spy satellite, you can see all the narratives that are trickled off of that. One of them is it can carry an EMP generator. From what I understand about the equipment to generate an EMP pulse, it's pretty heavy. And, and you know, weather balloons are not going to be able to carry that. And if you look at what's tethered underneath it, there's not a lot of weight underneath that. You can't boost something into high altitude and, you know, give it a payload like that and not be noticed by radar if you're going to do something like that because the the balloon would have to be fairly significant in order to carry that payload that far and then generate an EMP pulse. But, you know, stranger things could happen. But your first clue that the narrative is BS is that we start talking about intelligence gain and collecting intelligence off of it in the press. You know it's BS because we don't, look, the Chinese don't need balloons to collect intelligence on us. They have satellites. They have spies on the ground. They have one in the White House right now that is completely owned by China. Is it is it too far-fetched to think that they don't need to float a weather balloon over us to collect intelligence on our response times? They already know. They have somebody sitting in an office that they can tap on the shoulder, and he's already he's already proven that he's passed classified information through his through his his real estate holdings and his guest list, you can see that he would drop classified, have guests over, they'd pick up the classified and take it back to China. And even with those drops, the Chinese still have a hard time using that information and using that technology that's come out of that. But you don't need a weather balloon to sail across the, you know, across the atmosphere in order to collect intelligence on us. One, it's too slow. And two, and most importantly, why? If you have satellites and somebody on the ground, why would you expose yourself like that? So there's there's a number of different points you can look at that from and say, no, that's all, that's complete BS. That was us creating theater to distract away from, you know, the mass COVID deaths that are occurring right now, the election fraud, the election fraud cases, the cases that are snaking their way through the Supreme Court that are affecting the First Amendment. The disclosures around what's in the vaccine and what the vaccines are doing, the growing number of doctors that are talking publicly now about the side effects, the adverse side effects to the vaccines. There's a number of different things that they would want to distract us away from, to include the economy, the jobs, et cetera. So if you hear me say signal, and, and for those of you who've listened to me, just bear with me. I'm 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 setting this up for Spotify to move to Spotify and start building a um, a feed to Spotify so I can get off of Rumble. All that said, there is a host of um, things you should be paying attention to right now. One of which is pay attention to what's going on with the election cases 
specifically here in Arizona, see what happens with Kerry Lake's case. I don't have a lot of faith in it, but you never know. Pay attention to the First Amendment cases that are that are snaking their way through the Supreme Court, as well as the 2A cases that are coming up out of this pistol race thing. That's all signal. Anything related to the vaccine deaths and the VAERS data, as well as the obfuscation of the VAERS data by the CDC, all signal. Now, that brings me to this Twitter noise, right? This is all managed disclosure. You notice how the only thing that these congressional hearings are talking about right now is they're basically scolding the Twitter crowd for being caught, but there's not going to really be any arrests or legal action. One, the FBI is completely compromised, and they're spending their time right now going after the Catholic Church and going after religious organizations that are under 5013 B and C so that they can, you know, install a communist dictatorship. That's what they're focused on. So they're not going to go after anybody who's actually been coordinating with them. And then when you start looking at the fact that they were Twitter was hiring former FBI agents and they were hiring former CIA agents, that should tell you that the FBI is not going to investigate themselves. And they were coordinating directly with Twitter to not only ban people, but to block specific narratives at the behest of the DNC. That's all noise. This is just a bunch of politicians who probably have been paid by Twitter, probably been paid by Facebook to, you know, put on a show for the public. But the reality of the situation is it's not just Twitter that's doing this. Twitter, Facebook, Google, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok especially, all of them are censoring. Every single one of them are still censoring today just because they put Trump back on on Meta and on Twitter doesn't mean he's not going to be censored or shadow banned. It's all a show. And it's all a show to lure you back to legacy legacy social media to get you off of True Social, to get you off of Telegram, to get you off of, of uh, Rumble so that they can still control the cultural narrative. That's what this was always about from the beginning. It was always about controlling the, the cultural narrative. It was never about controlling you know, freedom of speech. It was always about shaping the cultural narrative so that they could instill this technocratic system and this social scoring system that they rolled out in China. They want to roll that out here. And they're they're still working to build these 15-minute cities. They're still working towards that. They're rolling out this whole bug protein thing in Europe right now, and they're embedding all these different insects into flower all the basic building blocks for most of the things that you eat. And you probably wouldn't even know it. All of that's still moving forward. That's why this whole Twitter thing is noise. So first of all, if you go back to when Twitter was going through the acquisition process, let's just talk about that for a second, because it's a salient point to the bigger, the bigger prospect here. The first part of this is that you don't do an acquisition in the public space. It's all done behind the scenes quietly and then released to the public once the ink's dry on the deal. You never, ever talk about price, money, anything, because the SEC will come in and they will arrest you for stock price manipulation and market manipulation. That's exactly what all of that theater was. Elon Musk talking about how much he's going to buy Twitter for. None of that would have been done in the public space. That should have been your first clue. This was all Kabuki theater. And then all the noise around all the releases and the drops that Matt Talabi was doing. Look, you, you would do that 
as you're going through due diligence, they would have known every bit of this if they were doing due diligence. So you make there's an offer letter that goes to Twitter from Elon Musk. Usually that goes to the executive team months before anybody in the organization even knows there's an acquisition offer on the table. Then the, the acquiring company brings in a set of executives to do what's called due diligence. That's when they come in the company, they look at all the books, they look at the technology, they look at the organization, they look at operations, they look at the operational debt. They want to see everything you're doing to see if the if the company is really valued at what the offer was was set up for. And a lot of times you come back and you realize the company's just not valued at the 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 amount that you think it is. And so there's a negotiation period that goes on after due diligence, and then the final agreement is is inked and the, it's a done deal. And then the, the company starts the transition process. None of that is done in the public space. It is all done in the private space. And it's all done in the private space because you have to meet the rules of the SEC in order to, um, and in this case, the SCC and SEC, because they're, one's it's a communication company, and then two, it's a, you know, um, Securities Exchange Commission for the stock. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces to this that have to be done both in, you know in the quiet side of the house as well as you know it has to be level set in the executive side of the house because you don't want the stock making a run, which is exactly what it did. Right? He killed the stock price. Why isn't he in jail for that? If you and I would have done that, we 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 would have gone to the press and said, hey, you know, my company is buying this other company in this space, and oh by the way. We think that there's all these problems with this company and, and they've, you know, they've cooked the books. You literally would be rolled up by the FBI within 24 hours of making that statement. That's how serious they take an acquisition and a merger at the SEC and the SCC. It's a big deal. And you have to you have to literally ask the SCC for approval to acquire another media company. It's not a it's not a process of you just make the offer. There's a lot of steps involved involved in this that involve the government. That's why all of that is noise. It's all kabuki theater. And now with the Senate hearing, you notice how they're not talking about anybody else. They're not talking about Facebook. They're not talking about Google. They're talking about none of that. And I'll tell you why. It's just distraction. That's why I don't pay attention to it. Who cares if if Yul Cohen gets reamed by 10 senators? The guy's a pedophile and a bag of shit anyway. Why would you even worry about it? Because he's not going to prison. Nobody went to prison over Fast and Furious. Nobody went to prison over Benghazi. Nobody went to prison over any other, you know, hearing that they've done. Just like the January 6th was a big fat dud. Durham was a big fat dud. And you're telling me that they're they're going to submit all or refer all these people for criminal prosecution? I don't think so. The FBI is not going to roll them up because the FBI would have to investigate themselves. It's all theater. And when you look at it from that perspective, stop paying attention to it. Because the things that you should pay attention to is what's going on in Ukraine, because Ukraine will affect our economy. Ukraine will affect our military. Ukraine will affect our strategic footprint on the planet. Ukraine will affect the value of the dollar. And there's a lot of downstream effects that go along with the loss of Ukraine, not to mention just the narrative falling apart. And that's what you're seeing right now across the spectrum, every single narrative that they come up with, right? And here's the thing to remember when you're talking about information warfare, that you have to have, you have to refresh the bullshit and you have to have believable bullshit. It's got to be freshly packaged and well-delivered for people to buy into it. But look at the January 6th stuff, right? The January 6th stuff was well-packaged and half the country actually believes it was an insurrection. 
anybody with half a brain that watches the video realizes that all those provocateurs that were in the crowd, most of which were FBI, most of which were FBI provocateurs that were paid by the FBI to lead people into the Capitol. It was a staged event. And then all of the theater after that, especially with the Congress, was all theater, including Mike Pence throwing throwing Trump under the bus. It was all theater. Now, regardless of where you stand on Trump, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that the bullshit was freshly packaged and well-delivered. So part of the country believed it, and the other part didn't. And part of the information war, especially when you start talking about psychological operations, is you want to put people into, bu into buckets and then create dissension among the buckets so that you keep people fighting amongst themselves instead of looking at the big picture, which is what everybody's been doing, especially when you start talking about these vaccines. The, the bullshit has been refreshed over and over and over again. And where are they at now? Now they're at, well, the, the who just came out and said, well, the bird flu is going to be the next pandemic. Nobody's even said, even doctors have said that it's statistically impossible for two back-to-back -back pandemics across the planet without some kind of human intervention. And this goes way back to the 60s it was a literally it was a study i read at the pentagon that that talked about how pandemics work and if it's a man-made pandemic versus an organic pandemic that comes out of some part of the rainforest they, they they laid it all out of how it would spread how long it would take covid showed up everywhere all at the same time and nobody asked the question where to come from and then when they did ask the question where to come from then all of the censorship and suppression came in. And that should have been your first clue that it was man-made, right? Whether it was China, not China. My firm belief is this thing was cooked at Fort Detrick. This thing was sent via Harvard professor to Wuhan to weaponize it, or at least to work on the delivery system. It was released in Wuhan. Then it was released in different parts of the world. And here we are. Or it's all Kabuki theater, and it's just a bunch of BS, and they use resmesvir res or whatever it is, resmesvir or whatever. I can't, I can't pronounce it. I think that's part of the part of the shtick with pharmaceuticals anyway. Create a name that nobody can pronounce, and everybody calls it something else, and you can feed it to everybody, kill everybody with it. It, it could be there. Two things could be true at once. It could be BS, and it could be that they use this drug to to mimic the symptoms that they wanted people to be scared of because there's always a boogeyman right that was the other part of this is they created the boogeyman and they took all these economies full stop i will tell you that the reason why they took all these economies full stop and the reason why covid came when it did is because the repo markets were imploding and they had to do something drastic to stop all of the economies from collapsing all at the same time and so this was a perfect gateway, and they were going to do it anyway and keep us in lockdown until they they marched out the social scoring system that was tied to these vaccine passports. They All the rhetoric's there. All the narratives are there. And they've all fallen apart since Omicron. So there's no part of this, this the new narratives that lend themselves to any kind of common sense or even, even a realistic view at what's possible and what's not possible. Again, they've divided the country and the planet into all these different buckets. So you have people that are deathly afraid of COVID that are running around Costco now with their, still with their masks on, threatening people with pepper spray because they're worried about their own personal safety. You have other people that don't give a shit that are walking around without masks and don't care. 
And then you have people in between that wear masks in certain instances, and they still have masking requirements at hospitals. It's just a boogeyman. And it's no worse than the common cold. All that hype and BS. If you go back to 9-11, 9-11 was the test bed for the cancel culture, for the big fat lie, for all the different public reactions that you're seeing now from COVID, as well as how long it would take the public to start fighting back against some of these draconian measures. And if you look at the Patriot Act, the Patriot Act was the start of the social scoring system and the technocratic state because they implemented the ability to search and seize under the guise of terrorism without any formal due process and people went along with it for their own quote unquote safety. That's why now every time you hear something, you hear quote unquote, this is for public safety, which is their catch all buzzword to say, we're fucking you and taking away all your rights. 9-11 was the test bed for all of that, along with cancel culture. Anybody that did go along with the narrative of weapons of mass destruction or further troops canceled. And you think this is a new phenomenon under Trump? No, this was going on for 20 years. They were doing varieties of different disclosures to the public to see what was going to generate a response for years, just like the H1N1 and the, and the swine flu back in 2008, 2009, that stretched into 2010. It didn't generate the response or nearly the hype that COVID did. And so you can see they've tried things over time and they've literally perfected the art of BS. That's how the games play. And now they're prepping us for the pandemic later this year and into 24, where they instill martial law. And the World Health Organization, who's pretty much owned by Bill Gates, are the ones that actually dictate what the response is going to be this time through this World Health Organization treaty that nobody's paying attention to. Again, signal versus noise. The treaty is signal, and they're working to get it signed right now. All of these things are a good reason why they would put a balloon over the U.S. and create a bunch of drama around it so you're not paying attention to the signal. That's how the game is played. And anytime you hear a politician tell you that it's for your safety, it's a complete lie. They are fucking you. That's how the game is played. And the only thing the government is really in control of when you distill out all the noise, the only thing they're really in charge of, the only thing they're really capable of controlling is the bullshit. They don't build anything. They don't deliver anything. There's no new ideas. It's just the same scripts played over and over and over. And the American public falls for it every single time. That's how the game's played. If most of the public, Stop paying attention to their state government and to the federal government. I guarantee you they would have zero power. But you have so many people, just like, you know, Morpheus says this in The Matrix. There's people so dependent on the system, they will fight to preserve it. That's what they're banking on. They're banking on the people that are dependent on the system to be able to influence and lead the public into any decision point they want you to reach. That's the whole point of all this information operations and information warfare that you're seeing across the planet right now. They want to drive everybody to accept a one-world government that's run by a bunch of European homosexual pedophiles out of the out of basically 
Canary Wharf in London, where all the bankers are, and in Davos, Switzerland, that's what they want. And if you listen to Tom Luongo, he will, you know, he does a he does a whole podcast with um Dellingpole where he talks about this new world order and the World Economic Forum. And he thinks we're post-Davos, which I would agree with, given the 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 speed at which most of these narratives fall apart and the the exposure of the people in the background over the last several years that have exposed the whole Davos crowd and the whole Davos game, I would say we're post Davos. And every year that goes by now, the more people that know, the more people that are awake and the more people that are still alive after all these vaccines, I think that Davos power is start, will fade faster and faster as we get towards 2030. But it doesn't mean they're not going to have reach. It doesn't mean they're not going to have influence and it doesn't mean people aren't going to buy into this this whole, you know, climate emergency that they've created. It's all a bunch of nonsense. All that started under Al Gore. He was the first guy to try and get everybody signed up for this whole climate crisis nonsense. And if any, if the planet's doing anything right now, it's cooling, right? And they've manipulated the weather so much that it's hard to say what a real weather pattern is these days. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But the earth heats and cools on its own with or without us. The, or the earth would shake us off like a tick in a in a nanosecond so all this nonsense about you know climate change it's all nonsense it's it's all nonsense they want you to drive an electric car but they don't tell you that creating lithium batteries to drive that electric car is so toxic to the environment it takes so much energy it's almost pointless to do it and then you can't recycle the lithium so once you do turn it into a battery and one day once Basically, when it's spent, it's just like spent plutonium. You got to put it in the ground somewhere in a container that doesn't rot for 3,000 years in order for it to turn into an inert um, an inert substance so it doesn't toxify the environment. It's the same way with generating hydrogen. It's one of the smallest molecules on the planet. And you're telling me that you're going to put the smallest molecule on the planet that's highly explosive into one of the most porous systems, you know, i.e. a car, and you're going to drive it around under pressure. What could possibly go wrong? It's those kind of narratives and that kind of BS that people should be paying attention to and say, this is all BS. The signal in all of this is what legislation they're passing right now in D.C., where the money's going that they've allocated for Ukraine, where all the weapons are going, what our troops are doing there, and what's going? What's post-Ukraine look like? What's the post-Ukraine conflict look like? You notice how they're not talking about that, because they're all in. This is they've created an existential conflict now that they can't back away from. Again, another narrative that they can't walk away from, just like the COVID narrative, they can't walk away from it because they've created all this apparatus to push all this on the public. So what do you do when Ukraine falls apart? And that's the thing you should be watching for because that's the signal. As always, I usually, if you're new to this, I usually end this with some kind of a uh, some kind of a uh, music that's you know reminiscent of the activities of the day and what's going on for the day. And today, I think I'm going to end with something from the '60s. Actually, I may go back even farther than that because there's uh, there's, a couple, <laughs> there's a couple of things. You know, I think I'm going to end today with a little partridge family because uh i think it's 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 priceless on a friday that uh 
Yeah. This is this is come on get happy by the Partridge fan. It's a David Cassidy song. It's priceless, but I think it fits today. Anyway, God bless one team, one fight. Is what we'll be bringing will make you happy.